Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony and I'm so happy you're here with us today. Today we have a really special guest, Diana Christensen. She's been an inspirational teacher of holistic health for 30 years with a master's degree in psychology. She is an incredible teacher of Ashtanga Yoga, an old friend of both Russell and myself. Uh, We met her years ago um, on a teacher training in Mysore, India, a strange kind of teacher training and an unfortunate sort of collision of events happened for Diana during that teacher training, which we'll talk about in the podcast. Um, She has been the owner and founder of Pacific Ashtanga Yoga in uh, Dana Point uh, in California. And you can get her new book. She's the author of Your Golden Journey, um, which is just a beautiful, inspirational book. It's 45 days of practices. You'll have um, some meditation practices, some breath work, and some reflections uh, to help you progress in your spiritual practice. So um, all of these resources are available on her website, which you can check out in the show notes. And I hope you just really enjoy this conversation with Diana. It was a unexpectedly emotional conversation, actually, where we talk about grief and loss, losing loved ones, and um, how we continue to commemorate them or bring them into our life, honor them uh, in everything that we do. And I think this is such a profound and important conversation to have because whether we think about it often or we try not to think about it, we're all going to lose the people we love in our life at some point or some time, um, unless we go first, right? And death is sometimes a subject that we don't want to think about or look at or talk about, but it's something that we all experience, not just as a, a personal experience when we're in the process or the journey of dying, but Uh, the death of important people around us, uh, loved ones, family members, lovers, children, friends. And uh, as we age, it seems to happen more and more frequently. And so um, this is just a really beautiful conversation where we get into some of the wonderful humans that Diana herself um, has had to say goodbye to on a physical plane along the way. And so, um, yeah, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, I just think you're going to love this conversation and um, love Diana's approach to teaching where she integrates holistic health, psychology, um, her years uh, guiding people through counseling, um, and, and then also her experience Uh, teaching and practicing Ashtanga Yoga for over 25 years. Uh, We also talk about her her journeys around the world as well, a a real um, kindred spirit in that she was drawn to Asia, Japan, Thailand, and so uh, many 
interesting intersections with my own journey as well, even though it was um, a couple of decades later that I made that journey after her. But um, So without further ado, let's just jump on in and I know that this conversation is really going to enrich your life and your experience and I highly recommend getting her beautiful book, Your Golden Journey, A 45-Day Pilgrimage to Personal Transformation. Yeah, take that journey inward, guided by Diana, and she's actually starting a special course coming up on June 21st, uh, the first day of summer, that uh, she's going to help guide a group of students through that 45-day journey. So yeah, take 15 minutes, connect with your innermost self through uh, these daily readings and reflections and some simple practices to help you shift that habitual thinking um, and doing and this need that we seem to all have to just incessantly do things all the time and just be, just allow yourself to be in the morning. So that's my challenge for you this week. As you head into your week, see if you can take 15 minutes and, you know, don't do your yoga practice. Don't do your anything. Just be, just be, sit and breathe and reflect and just just listen just listen what do i need now what is my next step just see what happens if you can be still for 15 minutes so let's uh head on over to our conversation with diana Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. We're here today with a beautiful, amazing woman, Diana Christensen. Hi, Diana. How are you? Oh, what the fuck? Normally, you introduce <laughs> me first as the co-host. What the? <laughs> I thought I'd do a little differently. Today. God damn! Somebody, you know what? You know what, Diana? She came to me the other day and she said, "I want our podcast to be less biographical and more topical." And I said, "I feel like I'm about to get demoted." Sure enough, <laughs> very next right podcast, off the bat right out i'm not Boom. even someone's really exploring their space i guess there oh you my go God. i'm wings. the executive producer <laughs> should i be honored i'm the first to get yes. to uh start exactly this new chapter you just, in the you just finding get, harmony podcast you that's just right. get to witness my last episode that's funny. <laughs> his last episode <laughs> Well, I have an intro for um, the ladies uh, at home okay. doing their yoga practice this morning while they, while they listen, listen to, to a them. podcast <laughs> on Sunday. Uh, our dear friend, uh, Diana Christensen, began her yoga practice in Kyoto, Nippon, in Japan in 1987, which inspired her lifelong studies of Eastern philosophy. She began teaching yoga in 1996. And in 1999, after practicing yoga for more than a decade, Diana took the first of nine trips to India to study at the Ashtanga Yoga Institute, which I think is what it's called now. I think it's called the Sharat Joyce Yoga Shala or Center. That really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> she founded Pacific Ashtanga Yoga Shala in 2005. She has a master's in psychology and is the author of a new book. And she's here to talk about it today 
your golden journey, which is really what this podcast is going to be about, Diana. Your golden journey. Your golden journey. Yeah, I love it. I love it already. <laughs> Way to bring the energy. I want to know. I'm asking a question. I'm oh. disposing of your format. What? I want to ask a question. <laughs> what were you doing in Japan? It's on the question list. It's here. Uh, yeah. I... Was teach I was teaching English, okay. which was simply a vehicle to live in Japan, wow. and and I love that vehicle because the best way to get to know um, the people are, is just to, to jump in and have a little apartment and be um, speaking and listening and teaching and learning and um, so really it was just some my it was like as you both of you understand it was just this passion like mm. I had been drawn to Japanese culture for years and when I finished undergraduate um, I just like reached out to a couple different places and people to say hey you know can I get a job and I was fortunate because I really wanted to live in Kyoto because it's one of the oldest um, yeah. And, and one of the cities that has survived the Second World War's um, destruction of so much, including their temples. So um, Kyoto was definitely like the place I wanted to be. So yeah, it was just a heart passion that took me there. Yeah, so beautiful there. My, my great-grandfather lived in Japan for 18 years. And so oh, wow. I, I, was, I was similar. After World a, War II. Yeah, he ran a bowling alley in in tokyo and i think it's tokyo honestly i i I don't know actually it was tokyo and so uh i i also i had a reason i wanted to go to japan but i ended up teaching english in korea about 10 years later in 98 and so i just wanted to know what what sort of personal story do you have that made you want to to admire japanese culture I, it's, it was more um, something within me. It was sort of, I, I think it's what pulls us to yoga. Mm-hmm. Like when we start to understand that there's something sometimes that's not outside of us, but inside of us mm-hmm. that pulls us to different geographic locations or to different like authors or, mm-hmm. um, you know, painting as you do, Russell, um, mm-hmm. or dancing as Harmony did. Mm-hmm. It was really something very internal in me that pulled me not just to anywhere in Asia, which I love so many places in Asia, but Japan in particular. And um, I remember that a lot of my students, especially my my female students would say, oh, Diana-san, you have such a Japanese heart. You know, and I, and I, and I like to think it's something that in me that's very service oriented. And um, I don't know, but it, it meant a lot to me to have that connection. But interesting, I really only spent like a year in Japan before I then moved to Thailand. So um, I did bounce around Asia a bit. And, yeah. um, but I, I do, as you can see, um, in the in the book, Your Golden Journey, I have an affinity for that particular place in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how how old were you when you, when you moved there? I was just out of, um, I, so I had to be early 20s. Yeah. Yeah. That's for me too. I was about 21. And knowing now the brain doesn't fully develop until you're 25, it explains a lot of the, the issues that I had when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> what was the was were there parts of it that was a struggle for you like for example for me in korea i was a slow walker i'm from illinois and i just like to kind of stroll and meander and, and old people would shove me in the back to get me out of the way <laughs> did you have kind of 
issues like that that came up that like culture shock that you're really surprised by that's like oh this is this is different yeah it's such a fun question because one of the the way the book is laid out their um days and little teachings that go with the days and Mm. in one of the um teachings i i share that i had you know was so excited to move to japan and when I got there, it was like a huge disappointment and I was unhappy. And I remember um, I stayed with a lovely family until my apartment was ready. And I remember going up on the rooftop um, to the very top in Japan and like looking down and all that was so noisy and um, this feeling of not having my independence, but also, you know, like breakfast for seaweed and um, (laughs) I was missing my like donuts and coffee and and I remember like asking myself, like, what were you thinking? Why on <laughs> earth did you, you know, why did you do this? And, um, but that was really the perfect beginning for me because then um, it unfolded into um, this place that I really um, did want to be. And I, I managed my way through parts of it that were noisy and found the peaceful places. And, um, mm-hmm. and I think it was really getting to know the people and um, moving towards temple and practices that made my life like what I wanted it to be there but it took a while to get there you know it wasn't yeah. instant that's for sure it was like yeah. uh, oh my gosh that you remember the um like I think they're called pachinkos but they're like a, the places where you go gamble. to like gamble yeah. that were just like noise bing, 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 bing. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's fascinating I I, I that really resonates because I, I was really overwhelmed by the density of the cities and the enormity of people that they would pack into a place. And then you could transition out of that and find space and, and uh, a, you know, uh, uh, maybe even a, a spiritual life. And that transition was always really interesting. So I ended up being in the mountains a lot to find that space. Cause I was kind of just as a Midwesterner, I was, I was overwhelmed. Yeah. And you really can there, you can find those places. It's mm-hmm. um, an interesting place in the world because they do density very well, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even how they manage to create Zen within a small place is um, part of their beauty, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. something I've carried with me for years, like how to, how to find your expansion and sacred in you know small space and lots mm-hmm. of people around you you know yeah it's an interesting theme because we all like right after graduating university went to asia that's true <laughs> and like spent yeah. time living there and being in that culture so there's it kind of calls back to that like pull of your soul to a to a i don't know to the east or to like this eastern sort of philosophy way of living way of being that um, you know, maybe was very different from what we were used mm-hmm. to, but also felt almost like for me, it was almost like a home. Like it felt all of a sudden, like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. Yeah. Even though, you know, maybe at first it was like, whoa, this place is crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, but the, the, I don't know, maybe the aesthetic, the ethos, the philosophy behind it felt very, um, very much aligned with something inside deep inside myself yeah very like you said it so well at home Mm -hmm. which is how 
I would imagine the two of you felt how I felt with yoga and Ashtanga yeah. in particular, mm-hmm. like it just felt like a coming home to something that, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. it, there is that connection there. Yeah. When you found yoga in Japan or when yoga found you, was it Ashtanga yoga or was it another kind of yoga and what like drew you to that? No, I, it's funny you mentioned that. I just brought that up in a teaching this past year and my students who've been with me for decades were intrigued because I hadn't spoke of it before. But in Kyoto, I had always known I would love yoga. And so I, I'm from the Midwest as well, like Russell. And so I had tried different yogas, nothing really resonated, but I knew yoga was on my path. Like it was mm-hmm. like we were saying, like it was already within me. And so when I sought that in Kyoto, um, the teacher I found was just this beautiful um, woman who taught, um, it was not a a vinyasa style at all. And she um, did a lot of her work with partners in her practice. And and I I used to ride my, we had 10 speeds back then. I used to ride my bike for, I don't know, like an hour to get there. And um, just some funny notes about my first real yoga experience um, was that we had to wear a black leotard, yeah, sort of like dance, and and um, fish. Am I saying that fish stockings, like the fishnet stockings? Fishnet stockings. Oh my gosh! And um, and that was like your uniform. So I'd have to go like tra- change into my uniform, and um, we would have this lovely practice with her. And her teacher was from Northern. Um, Japan. And so there was really this sense of lineage that I had mm. never known before of like a teacher having a teacher and passing it down in parampara. Mm. Um, and, and then at the end, we would always have tea together and we would talk with our sensei uh, about anything like cooking, um, about um, it, our diet or our, um, it could be our yoga practice, but oftentimes it was about our health outside of our yoga um, so it was really, it was very, um, it was a beautiful beginning to me of something that I would know, I would want in my future as something that was a lineage mm-hmm. and having a relationship with your teacher and the beauty of passing that down to people. I remember when her teacher came to visit in Kyoto, how honored she was and how proud she was to introduce us and for him to for us to meet him. And, and, and so that really stayed with me and it's something Mm. I hadn't experienced yet in the States. Mm, Wow. Yeah. I, that, that also registers as well. One of the things that I, I realized going to Korea was just how American I was and what, what I could identify as being American. Um, For example, uh, irreverence (laughs) and not being respectful and, and constantly looking to, to uh, make some snotty remark was like was like that's my family like that's you know that's the culture that we carry with us and the the korean culture of uh, that had so much respect embedded in the in the language and the kind of language that used depending on whether you were speaking to a a senior person or a superior person versus a friend uh, that really struck me and stayed with me and has been kind of in conflict with me for a sense is trying to find a sense of respect while also balancing this, this irreverence, which could be so inappropriate. <laughs> it's so Russell. I love it. 
Where were you from in the Midwest? I am from a town called Michigan City, Indiana. I have lived there. Holy <laughs> shit. My mom worked in LaPorte at a hospital, which is like, what, 15, 10 minutes away? Yeah, 10 minutes away. Holy smokes. <laughs> wow, yeah. We, we, looked, we lived uh, on a little house right on Lake Michigan in Michigan City. What, is your family still there? Well, it's, it's interesting because... Um, my my parents moved here about um, o- around um, thirteen years ago mm-hmm. or so to be here, and they they left Michigan City, Indiana, um, and my mom is there right now on a pilgrimage, and she hasn't been home for four or five years, and so uh, we are we lived in a place, Russell, you know, um, they called it um, Lake Michigan, um, mm-hmm. Michigan Shores, or yeah. Um, long beach and so we so she's in a she's at a little little beach cabin uh on the on the water like right on the right now you must have found yourself going to chicago all the time and like as a family or on on you know when you wanted to go do fun stuff with your friends you must have been up there all the time maybe yeah you just jumped on the south shore railroad Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there you were wow what did your what did your parents do for work well it's uh, it's a great question, actually, because it was one of the answers to some questions you had proposed that we might wind up talking about. Um, my parents owned a little restaurant, a family restaurant in Michigan City, Indiana. First, my dad, uh, he drove trains for a while. He drove the South Shore, the South Shore Railroad trains. And then um, he was such a dreamer and such a visionary and at one point he just had this vision to open our own little restaurant kind of based on food that was being served in Chicago which was um, Midwesterns would know this it was a Vienna sausage which you yeah. couldn't get anywhere where we were it was just a Chicago thing but you can get that in a can on, on Amazon <laughs> probably $500 a can I was just <laughs> But yeah, so my parents opened this little restaurant and from the age 12, I worked in their rest in our family restaurant and really um, got to know our customers were like family and watched me grow up. I knew the names of their children and their dogs. And um, it it was such a beautiful upbringing for me to um, to grow up in this in this family business, this family restaurant. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, later when I opened Pacific Ashtanga Yoga Shala, uh, I realized how much I was drawing back to what I loved about um, my family, our family's business, our family restaurant, which is community, Mm -hmm. you know, which is community and bringing people together in a way that they feel seen and they feel heard and they get to know each other. And so um, I think one of my um, dedications, uh, we dedicated um, part of it to my parents and their restaurant. Mm-hmm. And we just talked about like, you know, I used to know how people like their eggs and what they wanted in their coffee. And now I'm like, you like this uh, Kapotasana adjustment, but you don't like this headstand <laughs> adjustment. <Right>. Service oriented. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very service oriented and, um, and very family, you know? Um, yeah. And I love that about Ashtanga. That's kind of comes back to something we had said about sensei and mm-hmm. Asia. It's like this, this love for our teacher and, and our teachers love for their students and 
you know, some of my students have been with me for before I opened the shalas, so over 20 years. Wow. So I've seen their children grow up and go to college and get married. And, um, you know, we've seen each other through um, all kinds of chapters of our lives. And that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Are you, are you a, like a nice Lutheran family? <laughs> We're Irish Catholic. Oh, my ah. goodness. Yeah, okay. All right. Christensen that sort of struck me as Indiana Lutheran, but not- <laughs> Okay. Irish Catholic. Irish Catholic. Yeah. Fair enough. No, because yeah. Christensen is Swedish. That was a maiden yeah. name. So yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. My and, mom's maiden name is O'Shea. Oh, <laughs> and that <laughs> Christensen is your dad's name? No, her married no, name. No, married name. Yeah. Your married name. Are you married? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no longer. Well, well, and your dad's no. name was O'Shea? His last name was Burns, which was also, believe it or not, Scottish-Irish. Yeah, that sounds Scottish-Irish. Okay. I have a very, I don't think you're Swedish at all, though. No, he's Irish. (laughs) Scottish-Irish. Just just married into that for a couple chapters of my life. You see, we're all Irish. We're all um, Scott, excuse me. Scottish-Swedish. Swedish Lutherans from Chicago. You. The the Lund family. That's my mom's family. And they married these, you know, Irish uh, hicks, literally. (laughs) That's my mom's maiden name. And uh, wow. And so I I thought we we may have an Irish-Swedish Lutheran connection there for a moment. No. Okay, no. (laughs) Sorry. Our differences is what brings us together. (laughs) (laughs) So when did you come across Ashtanga Yoga? Wait wait, 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 wait a second. I I want to dig into your parents a bit more. Can you um, can you the question, the follow-up question? Everyone wants to know about the Ashtanga Yoga. But this is really about them. You know, (laughs) can you imagine your parents doing what you did? Can you imagine, like, but you are the, you're the result of them. Can you, but can you imagine them doing this? What, going to India and doing all the stuff, going to Japan? Is there a, a piece yeah. of them? My dad loved an adventure, but he'd never, um, he was so proud of, of every place I went. And they actually came to visit me in Thailand and Japan. And, oh, cool. Um, wow. Yeah, so, but it was, um, it was, I think my, my dad and me, largely that wanted to go out there and have adventures and, you know, follow my passions. Not that it wasn't my mom as well, but um, mm. he really loved that. So, yeah. Oh. Oh. So before Harmony asks her follow-up question, uh, you came back from Thailand and you decided you'd already been in university. Where did you go to university in the Midwest? University yeah, it was in the Midwest at a small liberal arts college, um, Taylor university. Taylor and- university. It was in the cornfields of Indiana. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, I was really drawn to, it was interesting because it was a Christian school, and I, but I was really drawn to world religion. Okay. And really one of the major reasons I found myself in Japan is I was interested in Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was um, a beautiful place to land and seep myself in Zen Buddhism. And, mm-hmm. and then Thailand was interesting because there was Buddhism there, but as well, Shinduism. And mm-hmm. so it exposed me to even more of um, different um, just ways of, you know, seeing God and, mm-hmm. and walking that path of light. So I love that. But then you came back home and you got a master's in psychology. 
and, I'm, and I'm, you didn't go into like say the nunnery for example <laughs> yeah although I did want to be a nun when I was younger <laughs> but um but yeah no I was I landed in Santa Barbara and um did some I just had some great jobs in psychology there um, love the people I was working with. But you, I think if you are an undergraduate working in psychology, you realize you kind of need to get the next degree. And, mm. um, and so I just had this wonderful opportunity on the East Coast to go to um, get my master's in uh, psychology and then return back to the West Coast. And the path was unfolding for me there. Wow, nice. in Santa Barbara. And pretty yeah. close to Encinitas. Yeah, but I didn't actually um, get into Ashtanga until I moved to Laguna Beach. Okay. Yeah. So um, it was after moving into, we moved to Laguna Beach after graduate school. And I um, believe it or not, my first job I got out of graduate school was in domestic violence. Oh, wow. And I <laughs> ran a shelter and um, in Orange County and, and then even after I had done that, I got um, a job with family court, a special, a very special job. It was um, a new position in the court system in specializing in domestic violence in educating um, our, our, our court system, our judges and uh, attorneys. And it was really a, an exciting wow. job, but it was during that time that I met Tim Miller and started my Ashtanga path. Okay. Um, which is led me to Patabi Joyce and to India, and yeah. but Tim was my was my primary teacher here in the states. What was it like meeting him for the first time? Were you were you like at the grocery store? <laughs> at the <Yeah>. grocery store. <laughs> no, were you well, just like enamored, or were you like, what's this all about? How how do you feel about well, he's it? He's very handsome. <laughs> He's very handsome. It's yeah. such a, it's such a, I, again, I feel like there's some, this poll that happens and I was going to yoga works at the time it was yoga place. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it was a, a big yoga company in yeah. the United mm -hmm. States. And um, I was drawn to Ashtanga. So I had a teacher named Dawn and there would be literally like three or four of us showing up for class, sometimes eight people. And I just loved it. It really resonated with me. And this teacher had gone to Tim. And so she brought him to Yoga Works for a workshop. And mm -hmm. that's the first time I met him. And I remember thinking, um, oh, that's, that's the person I want to study with. Like, that's the real deal. And then mm -hmm. a state would have it. The teacher who was teaching, she just stopped teaching to stop coming and the person who owned yoga place at the time now yoga works um, got to know me and she said diana we just need you to teach can you teach these classes and so by default i wound up being an ashtanga teacher before i ever knew what it meant to really be an ashtanga student but <laughs> that was my i path. think that's actually true for all of us yeah yeah yeah, especially like, the old school. Ones. He started teaching it. like, wait a second, I don't know anything don't about know this. Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe I should go to India. <laughs> maybe I should yeah. go to India. Yeah, so I started to study with Tim, and it was an hour yeah. drive. Yeah. And um, when he, I, I should get my old books out. He had his first 
uh, teacher training for uh, Ashtanga teacher training. And I was at his first teacher training. Wow. And, yeah. So what year was that? The path- I know. I, I knew you were going to ask me that. I'm like, what's <laughs> behind me? Like, just to entertain you. Yeah. Just to <laughs> tantalize. I know. Our imaginations. <laughs> Oh, 2000. 2000. Cool. Yeah. looks really familiar, huh? Well, it has Tim's logo on it. So. Oh, Tim's yeah. Logo on that it. makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why it looks so <laughs> I, I attended Tim's very first second series teacher training, which was oh, awesome. No. Oh, nice. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. That's fun. So, yeah. But what was fun is I actually had gone to India before I took my teacher training even with Timmy. So oh, wow. it's mm-hmm. all like how those things kind of. Yeah. I just unfolds, you know, I, I look at the world now of teacher training and, and uh, the path and it's, it's evolved so much since those early days when yeah. there wasn't a lot available to us. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. What drew you to India though? It's Happy Joyce. I, yeah. um, I met him at, I remember studying with Tim and Tim would talk about Patabi Joyce in such a loving way. Mm-hmm. Again, it kind of gets back to this idea of a teacher having a teacher mm-hmm. and passing it on. And, and mm-hmm. he just always told such stories of love with love about Patabi Joyce. Mm-hmm. And then I remember thinking like how sad I was working for the courts at the time, which is such an eight to five Monday through Friday job. And I remember thinking how sad I'll never meet him. Mm. And then honestly, it seemed like the next day, but of course it was probably like a month later, but it was soon <laughs> thereafter that Tim announced that Patabi Joyce was doing a world tour. Remember the mm. world tours? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so on. I remember always the tour, last world tour. Yes, <laughs> yes the last tell, world tour. I would tell my students, make sure you go because this is the last world tour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, then yeah. two years later, you're like, no make sure you go this is the last last (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah but then it was the same thing i met patabi joyce and it was such a powerful experience to be in this Mm. gymnasium with 250 people and um and i thought again i'm like ah what really i want to go to india Mm. i think patabi joyce every person he met it was like 250 of us waiting in line to thank yeah. him after class. I think yeah. every person said, you coming to India? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it felt very personal. Yeah, it, it does. Like, it felt so personal. Like, yes, I must come to India. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's something, I, I, maybe it's a kind of, uh, of uh, star power being starstruck, but there's something electric about that. That first time is like, you know, if, if um, Steven Seagal had, had met you and told you to, come to India like you would have taken it just as seriously but it's like it's it was for me it was like overwhelming to to meet him and then you know he 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 adjusted my hand in Parjal Konasana and I was just like it was um it was like love at first sight for me yeah yeah I really believe that there are some something sacred about uh, having a connection with um with the teacher you know mm-hmm. and and, and that teacher having a love for, I remember Guruji really loving his students and, mm-hmm. and making us all feel so loved by him mm-hmm. um, and that being very authentic and genuine. And, and I do think that's 
I hope everyone has that experience in a lifetime. And, and for us, then the three of us as teachers to pass it on that way, to be excited mm-hmm. about someone wanting to learn yoga and Ashtanga and, and really loving that, you know, it mm-hmm. is parampara to pass on that, like genuine love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's, it's a powerful experience. I think when you enter into that energy field of someone who also like has a really strong pull of energy or like a lot of that yogic, you know, energy they've cultivated over years and years and years. Um, Yeah. It's a different, it's a different feeling than just like, you know, people you meet in the grocery store or something. Yeah. I, um, not to say you can't meet these people in the grocery store because you can. (laughs) What was your first trip like then when you, when you, you, how did you one get the resources to go get the time uh carve out the space go there the first day which is always a nightmare can you walk us through that whole thing yeah i was fortunate enough to carve out a little bit of time from my work schedule um, at um, at the courts i was working for family court at the time which only meant I could take a couple weeks off. And you know, oh. traveling to India is- Takes a, a couple lot. weeks. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It takes and like then, a week to get there and a week to get back. <laughs> yes, to acclimate. So I was so unusual because you, as you know, everyone who goes there is there for a month, three months, six months, yeah. a year. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And here I was making this journey and, um, but it was so worth, every day was precious to me. I- um, I, I felt overwhelmed by India. And at the same time, I had lived in Thailand. And so mm-hmm. I was prepared for um, the, I was prepared for some of the hardest things about India, which is walking through the streets and the prop, the poverty. And, mm-hmm. um, but I remember going to the house. I mean, you look at the address and you get to this like a little house in this little neighborhood in Lakshmi Parm. I'm like, is this it? Yeah. Could this be it? Like this little sign or whatever. Knock on the door and have Patabi Joyce answer. And it was this like old. I the experience to me is so precious because mm-hmm. it's like, yes, you coming in. You know, I you I want to study yoga with you. Yeah, I felt like the person. Um, Krishnamacharya, like going up into the cave and, you know, yeah. knocking on the door. Can you, will you teach me yoga? You know, were you but by yourself there? You- I was with my husband who um, did not go with me to meet Patavi Joyce. So I went by myself for that part. Uh-huh. And I was so glad I did. Cause it was really like my, my, my yeah. pilgrimage, right. you know, you really experience. think of like riding your golden journey, like what it means to be on a pilgrimage, but it was mm-hmm. my pilgrimage. And so he welcomed me in and, you know, you enter at that um, little space that people would gather for conference, like this little waiting room, kind mm-hmm. of lovely area. And then we went upstairs to the top where his, you know, kind of office was, was just this mm-hmm. desk. And I remember he had this huge book that seemed like the book of life. And he opened up this book, you know, everything's very slow. And he asked my name. Yeah. And as you write down my name, he asked my mother's name. Uh, and I told him my mother's name. That's so weird. Yeah, he did that. That's so weird. Was, yeah, I just remember that being such a beautiful, slow, old school, like, 
and just, yeah. And the exchange and, and then him telling me like what time to come in the morning the next day, which as you know, like people were starting at four or four thirty, and I think I was coming at seven, yeah. you know, I was like the last person um, probably. And when I got there, it was this amazing experience where at the very bottom floor was a practice room. And I always remember like 12 people in the room. I'm sure everyone has, I don't know if it was 15 or exactly how many, but it was the way they were faced. And then Patabi Joyce had a little stool that he would sit on when he needed to rest. And then when you got there, you had to go to the very end of the line, which was winding down the staircase. Mm -hmm. And so I wound up at the top on the roof of the house. Yeah. Yeah. Every morning I would start off on the roof of the house. Yeah. We'd have our books with us. So I had my like Bhagavad Gita, right? (laughs) And then as you go down the stairs, you're reading the Gita or talking to the people in line with you. And then you get halfway down, there's a bathroom. Oh, yay. Before, you know. People would hold so, your spot for the bathroom. Yeah. In your in the line. Yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How long did it take to get to make your way from the roof to the practice room? Well, you know, it's it took at least an hour. That's such a great question. It's been so long ago now. It took at least an hour, if not an hour and a half. Wow. Amazing. Wow. And and that was was like 50 people at the time. <clears throat> So I think I remember like Greg Nardi telling me once, like right before it moved to Gokulam, it was 50, 60 people. And it just seemed like so many people. It was just overwhelming. It seemed like so many people because so many folks had gone before me. And then I was waiting with, seemed like a bunch of people. But remember, we were on a little staircase. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, it's hard to say. And even when we would meet for um, that once a week, what we call conference now, we were packed in this little room. And I think there couldn't, at that time, could not have been more than 20, 25 of us at least packed in that room for that mm-hmm. little conference time. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Do, do you remember him at that time? I guess you, you would have made a number of trips where this conversation happened. Um, so I should probably ask you why you, why you came back. But uh, I'm also just, I'm, I'm wondering like, if you remember people talking about, we're going to move to a new neighborhood. We're going to move to this place called Gokulam. And if you had, if you'd experienced that or, or heard about that. I was, I was a bit far from that um, because if I'm right and you, you, you guys have the date so much better than I do. It took a couple of years, right? Like we kept hearing that Patabi Joyce was making it. He was making it. And Tim would remind me like, it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of workers yeah. to do what right. Tabby Joyce is doing, which is to make this new, really, it was his dream. It was his dream because we could all be practicing together or mm-hmm. in larger groups. Who knew that Tabby <laughs> Joyce would keep getting so popular that then there would yeah. be groups of people, 20 in a waiting room, waiting to get mm-hmm. in for their turn of 80 people in a room, yeah. you know? But yeah, yeah I really, Tim, we just kept hearing it was, he was working on it. Okay. You know, it's like wow. a world tour, like coming soon, coming soon. Coming yeah. soon. <laughs> but and again, I felt lucky. I was there within the first three months of it opening. And I feel like we might have overlapped then too as well. Yeah, I think so. I think I, I was there three months after it opened in May, 2003. I think it was, That's when, right, when it was I, 2003. So yeah. it took me a while to get back, but I got back for the, the opening. I felt like okay. it was exciting. 
So you were there for, did you, did you stay on your first trip? Was it the two, three weeks, like you said, or did you end up staying longer or then you came back home? Yeah, I could really literally only stay for a couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. um, it was, I mean, there was part of me that was a little bit jealous of the people that were able to really seep and stay longer and <laughs> get into it. Yeah. But I, honestly, I felt so grateful that I think the gratitude was, I just was so grateful I had that experience mm-hmm. and it meant wow. so much to me. So, and for, it, it was challenging for me. I was not that person who got to go and stay for a long time because of my life. Mm-hmm. So whenever I went, whether it was most of my trips were a month. And at one point when I was going um, to be authorized that trip, I stayed for three months, mm-hmm. but, um, but it was really hard for me to break away from the life I had created here to spend that time there. Sure. Mm-hmm. And- yeah. How did that eventually transition? How did it happen that you ended up, you know, going from, you know, being a psychologist or, or working at the, you know, training the, the legal profession to then being a professional yoga teacher? Such a beautiful marriage of, um, of my passions, because I started at Yoga Works, Yoga Place, Mm-hmm. And I taught Ashtanga there for a while. And, um, and it was clear, like it was hard to have a Mysore program and the owner really loved and valued what I did, but it was such a small part of the, the bigger of what, you know, really what their mission statement was about. I mean, um, and so I waited until I had my authorization. And then when I was authorized, it was so great to be authorized by Patabi Joyce and Sharat. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking for a place and looking to make that um, transition. And I had already started to make a transition in my career a little bit. So I was part-time at the courts and um, started teaching part-time and mm-hmm. um, trying to make my way that direction. And um, then when I kind of secured That's tough space, to tell your, your, that you're going to go part-time. I mean, that's you're going to lose, you're going to lose income. There's, how do you make that? How do you come to that decision and then, you know, act on it? Yeah. You know, I I have to credit my partner at the time because he was incredibly supportive and he was very supportive of um, that trip to India and then Mm -hmm. coming back and, and, and really, um, but it, it's hard. I will say that making that decision to have, and not just a yoga studio, right? An Ashtanga school mm-hmm. is very different. Um, mm-hmm. And then running what we see as other forms of yoga with different teachers and different levels and different, you know, which is, um, but I was so, I was so driven. I was so, I don't see driven. I was so drawn to that. Mm-hmm. So finding the right place um, or any place for that matter, but and then having just a handful of students that went with me and it wasn't a lot at the time, you know, but that handful of students that, that went with me and that we kind of built it from that core group. And, oh. and a lot of those folks are still with me today, which is why I say I've had some people that have been practicing with me for, you know, over well over 20 years. Yeah. Wow. Did I understand you that you just, that they would also come with you to India at the same time? Did, no, is that what you're come saying? come to her school. Come to her she school. opened. Oh, yeah, because okay, yeah. I had to leave yoga, work yoga place. And they came with you there. Okay, and they yeah. came with me from there. Yeah, okay, so so that was how that sort of happened. But um, yeah, it was, you know, what is the word you say? Go find a tree and teach under it. <laughs> so, yeah. so to go find a tree. and But, um, but it's hard to answer your bigger question 
it's kind of a fun little story. I was studying with Sherrod in um, Australia in Byron Bay. Mm-hmm. And um, I had asked him this question. I said, you know, my students are very inquisitive about the poses and about the philosophy. And I'm really a stickler for having a silent room. I really like the sound of breath mm. and people really like being in their own, you know, so I was really tried to create an atmosphere of, of meditation, of internal meditation. And so I'm like, when do people get to ask these questions? And Shirat said, well, you have to do conference. <laughs> once a week, once a week, you, you have conference and people ask questions in you. And so I started, that was when I started doing conferences. And I remember at first it was like, you know how we do when we were in India, mm-hmm. right? With Patavi Joyce and Sharad, it'd be like, who has a question? And um, what I found is after a few weeks or so, like hardly anyone wanted to ask a question or had a question. And yeah. so I just started preparing these teachings mm-hmm. and the teachings, believe it or not, were, um, they had so much Eastern philosophy and psychology and neuropsychology. And you see these books, you know, on the bookshelf mm-hmm. behind me, they're just filled with Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning and, right. um, and the Dalai Lama and Bishop Tutu's Book of Joy. And mm-hmm. my, one of my favorite um, leaders in positive psychology, Sean Aker at Harvard University. And, and so I just started introducing all these teachings and weaving them into yoga in a way that you know, we, we could be studying something that was, you know, based in this idea that I want to become the best version of myself. And I use yoga as the vehicle, you know, um, I, the, the, I have a semester study now. So we started this so many years ago and now we have a semester study and you know, when that semester is over, I come up with some new idea that, um, the semester we're on right now is, um, ascending into lightness because last semester we were talking about the path of enlightenment. I'm like, wow, that seems like such a big order. Like we're supposed to be becoming enlightened. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. You know? So, so we talked about well, what is enlightenment or saying it's becoming light beings, like light in how we show up for life and light in mm-hmm. what we give. And so then this semester we dovetailed off that and we were talking about, well, how do you use yoga to become a light being, to become enlightenment? So I said, the tagline was um, the physiology and spirituality of yoga. We started with our feet and went to our knees and we're now on the hips, which I'm having trouble getting past because there's so much to talk about with the hips and psoas. But, yeah. you know, I just wind up like this semester weaving in my favorite um, person who is a specialist in the psoas muscle with, you know, Carolyn Meese, anatomy of the spirit. And mm-hmm. yeah. I, I just love all that. So I feel like yeah. psychology and, 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 and energy work and, and the physiology of the things that we're doing and any of the poses we're doing just lends itself to them weaving together each week. That's, that's yeah, fantastic. Totally. That sounds like a, a very unified <laughs> approach. Yeah. You, the, you're, ta- you're referring to the lectures that you do at Chapman University. Is that right? No, no those are the um, her yoga school class. Oh, okay. Because yeah. you... Yeah, in her yoga school or conference. Which she mentioned weekly. the word semester. So I thought she oh, mentioned. I think uh, you created your own kind semester. of semester. I right? did. I created mm-hmm. my own semester. And that also came from wanting to call the Pacific Ashtanga not studio, but call it Shala school and to really mm-hmm. ask my students to be students and to be thirsty to learn. And mm-hmm. so the semester felt like a good way of also just creating a language around like, 
we're going to study for this amount of time, bring your journals, bring these, buy these books or listen to these videos I'm asking you to listen to and study, you know? That's beautiful. Yeah. So it's so needed in a yoga school, I think, especially the Ashtanga school, because people come and they, they practice and it becomes a very physical practice, which is, you know, healthy and good, (laughs) but it's like the deeper yoga, the deeper teachings are really so much embedded in that like psychology and in that philosophy and in how you're living and bringing these teachings to life. And you can only really like, for me, you know, people say like, Oh, you do your practice and yamas and niyamas coming or like yoga is just coming. It's like, yeah, kind (laughs) of. All all is coming, including poverty. Well, like you have to actually like think about it and like read about it and study it. And you have to have that element of, of self-reflection, of swadhyaya, of self-study, of studying not just your own self, but like higher self and and how you're aligning with that. And I think it's just so important to have that if you are like really practicing yoga and to have a teacher to help you, you know. Yeah, I think when all goes well, um, our practice makes us thirsty for that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the, I always describe the asana as uh, mushika, the little mouse um, that that hangs out with Ganesh, yeah. who's yeah. interestingly enough the vehicle, you know, Ganesh's yeah. vehicle, like a little motorcycle. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm always like, um, the asana is just a vehicle that mm-hmm. takes us to these other places of yeah. self, you know, self svadhyaya, um, getting close to yourself. I love the translation for svadhyaya. It's like it's not just self study, but when you really boil it down, it's like. Uh, it's Sva meeting self and Adyaya getting close to something. And mm. in my, my years of psychology, I'm like, oh, we really get so far away from ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, like with yoga is an opportunity to get to know yourself, to get close to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I was, I was really impressed kind of going through your biography and, and reading about the, the, your book and, and um, it might be an interesting time to, to talk more about the development of that book, but it just seemed to me that your life plan was so unified and, and clear just from the outside looking in. Like, like I, I'm not sure that was true for Harmony. I mean, like <laughs> you, you were a dancer and then you were a banker. I was a painter and, and I was a schmuck and it's sort of, <laughs> I get a very different, too. <laughs> we were very, very different, you know, it's a kind of a stop start approach to our life plan, but it seemed like you really, like you couldn't have, have scripted it better for yourself. And I wonder if you feel that way from the inside. Yeah, I really, I, some of the questions you asked Russell, and this is one of them that really gave me an opportunity for some sadhyayas, for some self-reflection and to say, um, yeah, I just sit in gratitude because it, from a, really from a young age of, um, I mean, I actually did want to be a nun. Um, <laughs> so just sort of like being that person that had this spiritual path and really letting it unfold from like honoring Christianity and also expanding from that and, um, and, and loving um, the work that we do with our body. I, I really think psychology too is coming back around to 
Um, there's, there's only a certain amount we can do with cognition and some things we just have to do in the body. There's mm-hmm. more modalities towards that right now. And, and so I even feel like I couldn't have scripted that better to be, yeah. you know, working with people in their trauma or working with people in their challenges and saying, yes, I, I want to help you read Viktor Frankl. I want to help you, um, you know, um, look at your, your practices that you do in your emotionality, in your emotional practices, but also to use our physical practices and our breath practices mm-hmm. to bring us to what, you know, I like to refer to as our vibrant health. Um, mm-hmm. I, I could, I like, I said that I couldn't have unfolded it any better than it has, or just being really happy at how it has unfolded. Mm-hmm. One, one um, a phrase that Franco uses that I really, I, I cherish is that no active, beauty is is ever lost or no act of kindness is ever lost and so i think that's something that he may have come up with when he was in the concentration camps is that it you can make some little art and thing here and it won't be lost even even um i think that's such a a a beautiful way to maintain a, a a balance of mind when you're in such desperate conditions as as he was in Yes. So, I mean, there's so many, we've, we've done semesters on different things at the Shala. Um, and it seems mm-hmm. like um, one of our mantras is a Viktor Frankl quote at the Shala. I have a couple mantras that are quotes from some of my favorite authors, but there are so many teachings in that one book, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think there's so much of our yoga in there as well. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we, we create this space in between in our yoga, you know, and um, we make choices. And, and I think that is the yogi's path, you know, is that we become more mindful and less mindless. And, and even then the challenges in our life, you know, when people, you know, look at their, their challenges and say, um, I can't handle this. This is too much. Um, we can go back to Nelson Mandela. We can go back to Viktor Frankl and really look at their words as a, a guide on our path mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and say, yes, we can. And mm-hmm. here's, here's a, here's a guide who's helping us today, you mm-hmm. know, from back then. So I just mm-hmm. really, we, we, we really do at our school, read that book at least twice a year, but we, we use different quotes as a mantra Mm-hmm. Um, that I just love. It's beautiful. it's beautiful because you can get really frustrated sometimes about <laughs> whether or not people are paying attention to you, you know. And uh, so I, it's just it's it's enough just to go in, go in, and and make something beautiful or do something kind, and whether people notice or not, you know, like Krishna, you can just keep keep practicing. It's fine. Yeah. What's yeah, one of the mantras of your shala? Can you share it with us? One of the mantras is um, by Annie Dillard, who's also one of my favorite authors. Um, She said, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Mm -hmm. And then I added to that for our yoga students, how we spend our moments is how we spend our days. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's such a lesson of impermanence, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, it just brings us back to the moment we're living right now. and, And am I doing that well? It's as Russell said, am I doing that with beauty? Am I doing that with love? Um, so yeah, that's one of the, that's one of our mantras. Love it. That's yeah. so lovely. 
a friend of mine, um, Melody Baker, she was coming and you were offering like a meditation, um, like a month long meditation program, I think at one point and she was yes. coming in to practice with you and, and sit and do like this meditation challenge. Was it? I, I forget exactly. Melody from Palm Desert. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I love her. She's yeah. such a sweetheart. We were supposed to, um, go to uh, Morocco together, but that got canceled really? a couple years ago because of COVID. Yeah. Whoa. You know, but, her well, um, my goodness. Okay. We were going to, but no. So I love, she was one of the folks that came to our studio to, to go through a program called one precious life. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, a it's a, it was a, meditation and program on impermanence and I actually wound up presenting that at the confluence as well I was very grateful to be able to present it there but um, as I'm not sure if the two of you are familiar with um, a few years back I lost my husband to brain cancer Mm. and um, he was a beautiful beautiful human being and I um, didn't know that no I'm sorry and he uh, he was also a um, Zochen practitioner, which is a very specific type of Tibetan Buddhism. And um, after his passing, I just felt so moved to share with everybody that we don't get to do this forever, and the people we love that we think you know, I think we take a lot of things for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a way to really dig deep into how precious life is so one of the mantras at the shala is also a mary oliver quote i'm sure you're all you're both very familiar with mm-hmm. um which is a question mary oliver asks us tell me what is it you plan to do with your one wild precious life yeah, and that so that's the one um so this program um was really based on that quote which is one of richard's favorite quotes my husband so, yeah, so Melanie came to that and it was really, she was, that was the first time I actually led that program. Mm-hmm. And so it was really powerful and it was powerful having her be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you were meditating every day or, or something along those lines. So what, um, it started as a 48 day meditation. Um, mm-hmm. Richard was this vibrant uh, football coach and high school teacher and, his um, brain tumor was completely uh, took us by surprise. He mm-hmm. was kind of dizzy for, I would say, I always tell you it was less than two weeks that we thought he had wow. vertigo. And by the time um, he went to the ER, we found he had geoblastoma and 48 days later he passed. Wow. And wow. so I based the, the practice on those 48 days. And so That's what incredible. she committed to was 48 days of practicing what it feels like to say, I don't get to do this forever. The people I love, we don't get to do this forever. Mm. How can I show up and live today? Mm. When was this that he passed? He's passed um, just over five years. It's just been a little over five years now. Oh my mm. goodness. Incredible. That's so powerful. Yeah. So I, I would have, I can't even imagine how you could get out of bed. Yeah, it's um, I it, I have such a such a a heart place for people going through grief because it's one of those things that we will all experience in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all have in 
in one way or another, but losing um, someone really close to you. I just have such empathy and um, compassion for, for that. And of course I'm involved with different groups and cancer and mm-hmm. um, stayed involved with, with that as well. But it's uh, my father passed actually two years ago and I felt oh, like wow. I was able to walk my mother through his passing more in the way that I was right next to Richard during his passing. And mm-hmm. my mom, although I was with my father a lot, my mom was next to him all the time. So mm-hmm. I have such a love for caregivers and um, mm-hmm. loss. And it's all something that until you really walk through it, it's so hard to describe. And yet you want to, because I always, um, I always want people to I want to share with people, like stay close to your last breath. You know, just stay really close to that last breath because it'll change the way you're living today. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's so powerful. Gosh. Yeah, losing losing the people close to us is like a small death. We get to experience that, how like, I guess, integrated we are and how like a part of us also goes with them too, right? Yeah, I, again, I keep, I keep sharing some of the bits of the book here and there, but mm-hmm. one of the days is called the we of me. Mm. And, um, and I always feel like the people that you become closest to become like woven into the fiber of you. And yeah. so there's this, um, like, um, you know, I'm wearing Richard's Mala because it's like, oh, this special, I'm doing a podcast with Harmony and Russell. So <laughs> I always want to wear his mala when I do something special. Yeah. Um, but it's just a physical um, little reminder for what's already woven. That is such, yeah. we carry such parts of each other inside of us that um, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So how did the two of you meet? Strong. Well, Russell, we actually met in yoga, but I think it was really more of a fix up because I had told (laughs) myself I would never date a yoga student. And and, and two of my dear friends that are also students um, were um, playing matchmaker Mm. and um, what the husband was a coach and he was a, a football coach with, with Richard. And um, they both did yoga and none of the other coaches like did yoga. They thought they yeah. were weirdos and they, they yeah. really couldn't talk about it with the other coaches. It was, you know, not cool. So they had this thing in common. And so um, Richard was going to Bikram at the time. And so um, he's, Scott said, you, you have to come try this Ashtanga stuff. Yeah. And, um, and he's like, you know, he really liked the kind of yoga he was doing. He's like, but yeah, but my teacher is single and she's, you know, you know, whatever guy would say, like, she's a cute yeah, blonde. I think he used the word pretty. Yeah, or whatever. <clears throat> I recommend them. <laughs> so, so yeah, so he starts coming to uh, classes and, um, and, uh, and then, you know, my friend, she's like, he thinks you're cute. Can he have your number? And, um, and then my students laugh because my phone number's on everything. (laughs) They're like, like, everyone has your phone number. (laughs) But, you know, honestly, I didn't think we would have anything in common because he was Mm. his football coach and what, you know, whatever was in my head, but our first conversation, 
he said, uh, yeah, I meditate. And I'm thinking, this is terrible. And I was like, yeah, everybody meditates. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, my mind or whatever. Sure, as you and, do. <laughs> right. And then he said, um, yes, I study Dzogchen Buddhism. I'm like, well, okay, no, wait, that's interesting because yeah, that's I'm specific. into Tibetan Buddhism. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm into Buddhism. I'm specifically into Tibetan Buddhism. And the next thing he's like, yeah, I, I study with Lama Surya Das. And I'm like, what? I was like, asking uh-huh. Lama Sirdas to like teach at our school, you know. So. Amazing. Oh, anyway, this is one of those great stories of how like two paths, yeah. how could how could we have ever met? And I think, well, how could we not? Yeah. See a see a Notre Dame guy? No, but he said his most memorable <laughs> game was playing Notre Dame. Oh, uh, he was use he was UCLA. He was he UCLA. Played, he played for UCLA. Yeah. He played for the Bruins. No, he uh, played for the Trojans. Did I say it wrong? UCLA? Maybe one of USC, I don't know, USC, USC Trojans, USC, right? Trojans, UCLA yeah. Bruins, USC Trojans. He yeah, that's for a the Trojans. Yeah, that's a USC. It was a powerhouse. And and what was his? Uh, was he like a Chargers guy as well? He, he was a lineman, so he was huge. A, a, a Chargers would, would be a, a a professional football team oh. in the Southwest. Like yeah. a fan, you mean? It was he oh, a fan of the Chargers? Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, he he was a fan of hockey. So yeah, I don't oh, know. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but he <laughs> was a lineman. Me on that one. Yeah. yeah, he's a lineman. The the everyone knows he's a charger. He charged. He was a yeah. lineman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Those are the real nerds of the football team. The smartest guys are the offensive linemen. Those are those are like the brainiacs on the team because they <laughs> yeah. they really have such a precise understanding of leverage and footwork and pattern that you really need those guys to be the, your 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 smartest guys. You don't the guys that are. Um, they're playing against our, our ballroom brawlers and they're trying to get past them. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, Richard would say that. And the thing I, again, it's something I loved about him is he, and he would say like, we are like, they are overthinking everything, but the, the little plays and stuff, but mm. I would see his notepads that had X's and O's and lines of all the, you know, ideas he was coming up with. And right underneath it would be like, a quote by the Dalai Lama or, you know, oh. he was a unique human being. He really wow. is. I love that about him. That's yeah. fantastic. And so you, you both shared the same, did you go into this similar style of Tibetan meditation as well? Studying with the Lama? Well, you know, when I was in uh, India, a couple times, mm-hmm. I went to Bella Coupe mm-hmm. and I, I had already been drawn to um, the Tibetan settlement. Yeah. Yes. I had really been drawn to the Dalai Lama and his writing because he was so seeped in psychology yeah. mm-hmm. and really a, a pioneer in neuropsychology. Mm-hmm. And so I was already doing a lot of reading and really resonating with the Dalai Lama. So his Tibetan Buddhism and really uh, as what we would refer to now as Buddhist psychology. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then when I was in India, I was making that pilgrimage then to Bella Coupe, where I met Chusang Rinpoche, which is another crazy story, but um, we became friends and he uh, comes to visit about once a year as well. So the Shala mm. itself has a really lovely connection to um, Tibetan Buddhism. So yeah, just, oh, friend- yeah. just lovely friendships. I, I know we're we're kind of running out of time, but there, there's there's two topics I really want to get to, and one of them is one of those crazy 
times that you've had <laughs> in India. And, and the image that I have in my mind is, is of, of this crazy trip in 2010, where we were all together and Harmony was pregnant and I was acting like I wasn't married. And <laughs> uh, you were asleep in a taxi driving from Bangalore to Mysore and abruptly woken by a car accident. I just, I wonder if you could talk to us about that and how it, I mean, that was really transformative for you. That changed your life, that, that car accident. Yeah, it did because, um, I, first off, taxi. I mean, yeah. I remember going to get my luggage and um, going to load it in the car. And the, that particular time, the car that was picking me up was, it just looked small. And the person who was going to be driving it looked to be like 12 years old. And oh I gosh. remember um, Shelly Washington, who mm-hmm. she and I are friends we're going to be um, arriving the same day, but our flights were two hours apart. Yeah. And I had made the decision instead of waiting for, cause remember the airport at the time, oh my yeah. gosh, I made the decision small. to go ahead, like fight th- through the mosquitoes, get in the car and just drive. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting cause Shelly wound and her driver wound up passing our accident, not knowing it was me. Wow. Oh, I remember and that. her driver recognized the car and said, that's one of our drivers that's one of our cars and by the time Shelly had passed they um someone had already stolen my luggage everything almost everything I had thank goodness I had computers with me I had my computer on me they had stolen my luggage and all the tires off the car by the time Shelly had drove past oh my gosh so um was the driver unconscious you were unconscious at the time and it's just like how do you have time to get the tires off the car you know, what happened is um, the, the person who hit us was a lorry truck and they, they were just figuring out like what to do. And in that amount of time, there was like literally a herd of people around the mm-hmm. car and complete strangers yeah. um, took me to the hospital. Wow. I just, I, and I, I almost like now I can't believe I don't, what else do you do? It was some crazy time. Like, I don't know when, 12 at midnight. I mean, I don't know, but mm-hmm. I went yeah, with strangers. It took me, right? yeah, it was the middle of the night. It took me to a hospital and, and interesting. I should knock on someone. That's the only time I'd ever been or have ever been in a hospital. So to be in an Indian hospital for the first time was, was um, interesting. Yeah. It's intense. <laughs> In- yeah. Have you been Indian hospitals? Yeah. I've I had, had my room. appendix taken out. <gasps> oh mm. my gosh. Yeah. A couple of years. I kind of remember that. hearing that story. Yes. Yeah, it was a bit, bit sketchy, bit scary. <laughs> did you break dangerous. some, you, did you break some cervical discs or something like that? Did you know really, what happened? I, I, to you? I um, your shoulder, your wrist or something. I remember. No, it was my neck. Your it neck. Was, it was all yeah, my yeah, neck. Yeah. All the neck. Okay. So yeah, it was. Um, and I still, I, I still have the um, herniated discs in my neck and some um, little permanent damage there. So I, I don't do certain poses from certain mm-hmm. series. So I have a very creative, like some a second and third. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm grateful that I walked away from that. That's yeah. what I just kept sharing with everyone. I was just really grateful I walked away from it. But I really couldn't get back on a plane and go home. Although some of my 
friends and family wanted me to come back for treatment. The doctors in India said, you just can't fly with this. So that's how I wound up staying in my little apartment for a month while you guys were going to classes every day in Sharat. Shelly would go and she would come back to my apartment and report everything that happened, all the good stuff, of course, yeah. and keep me posted and until eventually I could come out of the apartment and go sit in the corner of class and listen. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it was a very um, interesting time in my life because um, I, and again, this is all in the book, so I'm giving away a great deal of the book, but one of the, <laughs> one of the teachings in the book is um, I make my path. And I started with an Alice in Wonderland um, quote from the movie um, where Alice is um, about to do something. And um, I forget the Mad Hatter says, um, you know, like, no, that's, you know, they knew her destiny. And they're like, no, no, that's not what you're supposed to do or whatever. Alice says, no, I make my path. Um, (laughs) And so I started by saying, you know, I wasn't supposed to go to India and be in a car accident. I wasn't supposed to. And I had just, um, I had just started a divorce with my husband of 19 years. And so it was, um, it was a time in my life where um, it was, uh, it was like being taken down to your bones, Mm. you know, of like, like, what is, who are you? What are Mm. you? So what do you stand for? What are you about? You know, just, just so I understand this, that was a divorce with, with Mr. Christensen in 2010. Mm-hmm. And then you were widowed now to your, to your, the, your next husband. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's funny how sometimes like all of the things happen at all the same time, <laughs> <laughs> just to like completely like bring you to a full stop, full halt, like make you yeah. look at everything. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I really could, I mean, because I, there was no place to run and get busy and do or whatever. I was in this tiny little apartment yeah. in, in Gokulam and um, the things precious to me um, were actually stolen. And so it, it, I mean, in every kind of, in every way, it was like literally like the things you thought you had come with that would give you some comfort weren't there. And, um, and it was, um, it, but it was powerful because I think, for all of us to come to that place. And we've all have different times in our life when we come to those places where you stop in your tracks and say, okay, what's important to me and who Mm -hmm. am I and where do I want to go from here? And what do I stand for? How do I want to stand in this? Like for a month, I just really got to be with all of that and really came out of it so strong. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. I wonder if you could you could tell us now because you, you have these lessons and you've you've had some horrific things happen to you and and yet you 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 seem to carry this balance of mind with you and these and these practices that support you. How do you get to the place where you decide to sit down to write a book? You know, I have wanted to I, I love teaching so much and I love the teaching so much mm-hmm. that at different points in my um, in my teaching career, I think I've wanted to be like, I want to put this writing note. I want mm-hmm. to write a book on, and I, I love just one of the many topics in there is Wabi Sabi from Japan. Like, mm-hmm. um, 
And, and so I would, you know, to people closest to me, I would say like, um, I'm going to write a book on, and, and so I would say this. And so my father, as he was, um, we had a very close relationship. And as my dad was getting close to passing and we were spending uh, just this really beautiful time together. Mm -hmm. I said to him, it, it was actually for Christmas. It's like, I just gave him two things. I gave him a little stone heart that he could hold in his hand. Mm -hmm. And I told him whenever I couldn't be there to hold his hand, I wanted him to have this stone to remember I was holding his hand. Mm -hmm. And when I would be there, he'd like for us to hold it together. And the second thing I gave him was I promised him that I would write a book because I had talked about it so much. Mm. And I said, I am gonna write a book and dedicate it to you. And so the first thing I wrote, and this was two, three years ago, was my dedication to my dad. Mm -hmm. And then COVID happened mm -hmm. and I closed my wellness center. I had a wellness center at the time, the studio closed temporarily. And as you know, it just was a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of coming out of it on the other end, I just felt it was, I was starting to feel like I, I made my dad this promise and I want to do this and you'll never have time. You, you must know that like, whenever mm -hmm. says you want to write a book, I'm like, you will, you know, give yourself a year on an island. Like you'll never have time to write the book. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it was this very, I'm just telling you just how it unfolded for me. The, the truth mm -hmm. of the story is, I, I live on this really unique piece of property in Laguna Beach. And, um, and there was this trailer, it, like no one even knows where it is. It was like in the middle of nowhere on the side of the hill. And, um, and, I, and I walked, my dogs up there was just overgrown grass and trees and stuff. And I sat on the deck of the trailer and I said, this is my Walden Pond. Mm -hmm. I, I want to just, I, this is where I want to write my book and I want to give myself six months to just be here every day when I'm not at my yoga school. And I just want to, I want to make this thing happen. And so I called my landlord and I said, Hey, can I rent this quirky yeah. down little trailer up here and, mm. and write this book that I want to write. And I think I had to speak it. I had to make a commitment to this little space that I called my Walden pond. And I had to make mm. a commitment to, important people in my life. And I kind of gathered a team that would support me in writing and editing. And mm -hmm. um, my mom was probably my most fierce editor. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. But, but that's really how, and I set a goal, like it would be done by the state. It would go to an editor by the state and it would be published by my dad's birthday. Aww. And so the book actually was on Amazon for his birthday. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah, it's so touching. And maybe you could tell us a bit about what you want to what you want to fix with the book and who you want to speak <laughs> what to. What you want to fix? <laughs> you know, I really see um, any teaching as um, as parampara is just a light that we were given that we pass on to someone else, mm -hmm. and and sometimes you know you feel like when you're like at the school, like I'm teaching to the, the beautiful people in front of me. And so every single day, there's 45 um, days of teachings in here. Those were given to people. And mm -hmm. I just wrote down what they were, they were already given to people that I loved. And, 
And so we talked oftentimes about like the shala without walls, the school without walls Mm -hmm. and giving that light to people who weren't sitting in the room that didn't call themselves as Shangis. And Mm -hmm. because they were so universal, there's, there's literally no yoga in this book. Mm -hmm. There's not a single yoga quote unquote teaching in the book. (laughs) Um, And so I really wanted to share this with anyone that was thirsty for some light on their path. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's really what the book has become. It, it asks people to make a commitment to themselves, a short morning meditation, um, where they devote to silence and to listening to themselves and to a gratitude practice. Mm-hmm. And then the teachings just kind of give them this little something to add. It's like little tools in your toolbox of like how you show up and live the precious moments of your life. And, and so in that, um, you know, we've just celebrated our six month anniversary, seven month anniversary since it was published. And I uh, brought it to, um, sort of exciting stuff for me is to uh, a principal wanted his entire staff to have the book. Wow. So the teachers, the janitors, the psychologists, um, I just did a presentation with the national Parkinson organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's going to Chapman, um, Beautiful. In 2003, it'll be used in their curriculum, but also this year it was at Irvine College. So mm-hmm. it's very grassroots. I mean, I literally put the book in my favorite people's like waiting room with a little note on top <laughs> of it that says open to any page and get some inspiration, like very mm-hmm. grassroots. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate being with the two of you and you allowing me to share it with your tribe and your yeah. people. And it's just feel like it's light. It's what we do with what mm-hmm. you do, Harmony and Russell, like we just take what we've been given and we just pass it on. Yeah. It's so beautiful to like, I mean, you say there's no yoga in the book, but I feel like, like from what you've shared with us also that the whole thing is yoga because is it yoga, yoga just like how we're living our lives and how we're yes. connecting to, like you say, that space within every day to me, that's like the entire practice of yoga. Mm-hmm. So I, is. I feel like your it whole is. book's about yoga. <laughs> it, it is without me putting yoga on the cover. So yeah, people yeah. would pick it up who are my mom's yeah. friends and my, yeah. Exactly. I yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's sometimes we put, put the yoga in like this box that it has to, you know, be in, in our black leotards and fishnet yes. stockings. <laughs> yeah. That is but, the only way. Yeah, yes. but it's, it's so much more than that. And it's it's so much about what you've been speaking to and how you've like lived your whole life, like integrating all these threads and weaving them together into this beautiful tapestry of, of living, right? Living the teachings yeah. and, and making them come alive in your day-to-day life. And like you said, focusing on that one breath, like you know, connecting to that impermanence, connecting to that deeper meaning as well. Yeah, Yeah. it's so true. I mean, I tell my students, I always say thank you because this book has been born from from that relationship, from those teachings. And, And, you know, I always say, this is the one practice we do that should affect the other 22 hours of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 23. (laughs) So you don't practice for two hours anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I love a good one hour practice. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just want to say that uh, this was, um, I'm I'm unexpectedly moved and um, it was really, 
I'm really grateful that you would you would come on and and share with us and talk to us about your book, the your golden journey, and um, it's it, I'm just really impressed how you seem so well together and so well um, directed and grounded in your life, and and yet you know you know, bad things continue to happen to good people. And I'm, and I'm just, <laughs> but you still like, you just still have so much light and presence and goodness about you that it's, I'm really, I'm really impressed. Thank you for saying that. I remember um, one of my girlfriends was describing to the yoga students why I couldn't be there. Richard had passed and it was a Sunday or, or something and, and, and someone shared back with me that she described me walking through it with strength and grace. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, it's really my prayer now. You know, when I pray for, for anyone that I love, like if one of my friends is going through something that I pray that they have the strength to get through what they're experiencing, but also that they can do it with grace. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think all the, the, the teachings and things that the practices, really all the practices we do, I think, um, support us in living that way, mm-hmm. you know? So, so thank you for saying that. I, I really, um, am so, uh, grateful that my life has been a mixture of, you know, all the joys that it has and oddly enough, grateful for the challenges as well. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 it it gives us it gives us the insight right it gives us the wisdom when we have that uh, my mom always used to quote uh Cahil Gibran in that pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses our, our understanding mm. and yes. I always love that quote mm. <laughs> I love that one too I really Gibran is one of my favorites and on the um the chapter in the prophet where he describes sorrow, yeah. he describes it as that well. And he says the the depth of that well of sorrow is the same depth of your joy. Yeah. And it's so true, you know, like if we're living shallow, we wouldn't suffer, yeah. you know, but when we live a deep life of love and really um, we know that there's suffering then, you know, yeah. we, we wouldn't trade that for the depth of our love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, it's a scary, it's a little bit scary, right? Because, because of the impermanence, I think when we really are living in that space of love and feeling and and presence, we also, something in us knows how impermanent it all is too. And it's easy to try and go shallow again, (laughs) like not be present and not be, you know, in that, that place of love and, and awareness. Yes. I think one of the greatest gifts of um, Patabi Joyce and his teachings um, is that it's, it's, it's a practice, right? Like every day you just wake up and, and really try to ground yourself in what's most important to you and to practice loving and to practice not being afraid to love and to practice, you know, I, I used to joke around with my students and say, you know, we'd have conference and Sharat would say, you know, who has questions, intelligent questions only, (laughs) right? And some would ask a question about like, you know, this or that. And Guruji would say, 
you taking practice, 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 practice. And, and it would be totally perfect. You're like, yeah, exactly. Then the <laughs> next person would raise their hand. Then there's the question about something else, this or that. And photographers say, yes, you must practice. <laughs> practice, practice. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know what? It was never like he couldn't think of another answer. I'm like, it was, just, it was always back. like so spot on. But yeah. it, isn't it true though? Like I think about that. Yeah harmony where it's like you know we we make these decisions or commitments or whatever like to choose how we want to live and now we just have to wake up every day and really hold to that you know yeah. it is a practice yeah it is yeah. it is yeah I love that well I I know you have to get going we're right up right up against <laughs> your time we're keeping you on time today <laughs> um, yes make sure I get there on time yeah. <laughs> tell everyone where they can come and practice with you and if we're ever in the area we'll come practice with I you I like too. a silent room <laughs> yeah mm. yes you don't like a lot of jibber jabber no. um you can come and practice with me in um Capistrano Beach, California, which is really the bigger, uh, it's Dana Point, California. Mm -hmm. And you can find us at pacificashtanga.com. Uh, we Zoom. And so you could have people Zooming from all over the United States and every now and then someone from another country. And conferences, if you sign up um, for our emails, you'll get not only the weekly conference from me, the teaching, but my mom, whose name is Patricia, my students love my mother and she once a week puts out something called Sunday morning musings with Patricia, which, um, is Patty O'Shea, really the Irish mom. My goodness. Yeah. So some cool little inspirations from my oh, mama beautiful. once a week too. Like it's a family business, right? If my mom's not signing you in for class, which she can anymore, she's going to send you a little love. So, so, um, so, yeah, that's what we have. And then the book is um, the Diana Christensen.com is the book, but we kind of try to weave them all together. And there's courses for the book online and all kinds of good stuff like that Wonderful. as well. We're just about to start a 45 day summer journey for anyone that wants to like the community Santiago, like walk this pilgrimage personally but also as a collective so um the first day of summer is june 21st yeah. and we're going to ask everyone to start their first day on june 21st and walk for 45 days of yeah. inspiration and meditation so that's also oh, harmony's beautiful. birthday so it's a good day to start <gasps> yeah. yeah i'll start I'm <laughs> your book is on its way oh thank I'm you gonna, i'm looking I'm forward to 45 it. days let's do I'm it do it <laughs> It's beautiful. Well, I'm I'm just so pleased that you came on our little podcast and thank you so much for sharing so openly, so much so much joy and gratitude and heart heart connection there. So thank yeah. you, Diane. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much, Harmony. Thank you. Thank you, Russell. Blessings to both of you and your path of light. Continue to be a light for others as you are. Yes, you too, a light warrior. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves
desert, hard wind and the soil.